0: Liam, I got a question for you.
1: Oh, God. I was not prepared for this. No, I'm kidding. Go ahead.
0: You good at writing poetry? Ooh, no. Would you stake your poetry skills on a job application? Yes. Yeah? You think you could get a job based on your poetry skills? Definitely. How about a government job? Ooh, for sure. You think so? You think you could write a good enough poem to be, like, prime minister? Yes. Yes. All right. This I am confident in. Welcome to Big Time Whoopsies. Big Time Whoopsies. My name is Eric McAdams and this is a podcast about incompetence. Each week I tell a friend of mine a story from history involving massive incompetence. This week I have major cast network co-founder Liam Senior. Hello. It's fun to be able to say my guest's last name on this podcast. Yeah. Can't always yeah. do that.
1: No. I I leave nothing to the curtain. That's an expression, right? <laughs> my
0: whole butt is on the internet. For yep. everyone to see.
1: I put it there first. <laughs> so my enemies can't. You can't be embarrassed. We,
0: we, we all had copies of my butt and I posted it first. Yes. I distributed them. Yeah, it was known as the butt If you butt want race. a picture of my butt,
1: email me at buttbuttbutt@butt.butt. at butt. Butt.butt.
0: So Liam, you've been on here a few times before. Last time I made you sit through a real sad episode.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: This time we're not going down that road.
1: Oh, well, I mean, I'm excited to talk about Axl Rose and Slash. Because you told me we were talking about Chinese democracy.
0: No, I told you we were talking We were talking about Chinese bureaucracy. Uh-oh, all that material I prepared. <laughs> oh, no! <Cool.
1: laughs> I'll be honest with you, it was just that bit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that was all I had. I've got pages of notes that's the same joke over and over again. Yeah, I just wanted to feel big. Liam does a lot of podcasts on Major Cast Network. He's been on this podcast many times. You can find him all over the place. I haven't really had a through line for you for the episodes. I don't know. Other people, I ask them what they want to talk about, like what their interests are. Nah, no thanks. You, I just kind of throw whatever I've got at the wall and see what sticks. I'm pretty much game for anything. Yeah.
1: My theme can be
0: scraps. <laughs> Um, this time we're gonna talk about tests. Oh, I'm (laughs) sick. Sorry, gotta go. Everyone's favorite part of school. Ugh.
1: I knew kids that would cry in the bathroom after getting a B-plus on tests.
0: Yeah, yeah, I knew kids like that. (sighs) Anyways. Do, Do you know anything about the Chinese Civil Service exams? Nope. Nothing at all? Not a thing. So tests have been part of Chinese mythology and culture for thousands and thousands of years. For a long time, Chinese culture was based in an idea of kind of going back to the old ways. Uh, Confucius used to say that he was not inventing his philosophy, merely relating the wisdom of the ancients. Mm. so to that end there are a lot of mythical ancient figures in Chinese mythology and a lot of them are these kind of divine sage kings descended from gods who ruled us who ruled ruled China once upon a time and we get a hippie that dies on
1: a piece of wood
0: yeah I know one of these was Emperor Yao and he was known to be like the wisest and most like morally perfect of all the ancient emperors Mm mhm he was he, his mom was a goddess that kind, all that good stuff. Um, Lucky in the legends he ruled from the age of twenty to the age of a hundred and nineteen. Um, oh so close! I know.
1: <laughs> oh no!
0: Good old ninety-nine year rule. Um, and one of his one of his things was that he devised elaborate tests to determine if his successor was worthy. Mm-hmm. that was and and there are people who point to this as the forebears of testing people to see if they'd be good government officials <laughs> but uh, but tests academic and otherwise are an inextricable part of chinese history and mythology and in the 7th century B- ce uh they became an inextricable part of the chinese government oh no <laughs> academic testing uh,
1: that that can't be good yeah
0: <laughs> Academic testing for government officials began in the Han dynasty way back in the 2nd century BCE. They mm-hmm. were, these were on a small scale and they were only utilized intermittently between emperors between dynasties and they wouldn't become regulated and standardized until the Sui and Tang dynasties. Emperor Yang of Sui was the first to create a full examination system in 605 CE. But it wasn't really until Wu Zietian a.k.a. Empress Wu, you may have heard of her, uh, Mm. that the the exams really took off. Wu was not super happy with the state of the Chinese government, and she was especially dissatisfied with the Chinese military bureaucracy. No, sorry, not the bureaucracy. The Chinese military aristocracy in the 7th Ah, century. Ah, yes.
1: A bunch of aristocratic guns.
0: And when she looked at the exams, she saw an opportunity that she could utilize through expanding them the exams that she then expanded were they still favored students of means but she opened them up to a wider pool of candidates not just you know strictly the aristocracy and she involved herself directly in the process
1: oh step one never become the story
0: yeah she was literally like part of the process she i'm not sure whether she was grading the stuff but she would like Meet with the examiners, meet with the candidates, that kind of stuff. And by doing this, she created a class of new government officials that were much more loyal to her than to anyone else. Because the ones that passed these examinations and became government officials would obviously remember that she was the one who passed them. Makes sense. This meant that there was a rising class of government workers who were loyal to the Empress and not the aristocracy.
1: That is a very boring way to stage a coup. Yeah, I know. It's a
0: very, like, it's a very cunning move, and that's kind of what she was known for, but not the most exciting, no, no assassinations. <laughs> the or least anything.
1: sexy thing you can do to yeah. stage a coup.
0: <laughs> Ken Burns is coup d'etat. Exactly. It's like, ah, you weren't expecting this. A new class of government workers! <laughs>
1: Yeah, we weren't expecting this. This is Shit. a Netflix
0: show. I thought we were going to have sex, <laughs> <laughs> and then you'd stab me. No, sign <laughs> this form. Exactly. That's this is what we're doing here. So future emperors caught on to this that the exams allowed them oh, to I win. Love future emperors. Oh man, <laughs> that these exams allowed them to win the loyalty of the vast majority of incoming government officials. And so the exams steadily grew and grew in size for generation after generation. It starts out and, like, even, like, a hundred years after it became standardized, only, like, less than half of, like, the chief ministers were products of the uh, exams. And, like, a hundred years after that, slightly more than half were from the exams. And, like, hundreds of years after that, all of them passed the exams at one point or another. Cheaters. It, it took over the whole government, basically, this this process. This exam-based lifestyle. And at the outset, it was extremely beneficial for China. You think about China, this was the 7th century CE. Mm-hmm. Like, there wasn't... the The idea of having your government created by an academic test to see if you were actually smart and not, you know, whether you had the blood of some other king that's a that's a very progressive thing for that time period
1: it's a real it's you know they're ahead of their time though. they're like, like
0: sonic youth <laughs> they were trying to create like a meritocracy basically they were trying to make sure that the best people rose to power well sorry not the best people <laughs> the best men mm. women yeah. were never allowed to take these yeah this is this is a story very much about boys
1: yeah, this is a Nobody boys else. only story. Yeah. No, girls in this
0: treehouse. 100% this is that's true. They and they basically try to create a meritocracy where the cleverest thinkers gain power and by doing this, by making civilian academics the most powerful figures in the government, it curbs the power of both the aristocracy and the military. It unifies China because because men from all over china are allowed to like take part in this and it greatly increased education and literacy Mm. because everyone wanted to take the test and do well (laughs) that's why the exams continued for well over a thousand years as the primary means for them to enter government i hope they
1: switched up the answers
0: yeah once or twice one would hope at least
1: i imagine so Otherwise, you just kind of have to remember ABC, the order of A, B, C, and D. I imagine they're Scantron exams.
0: <laughs> but we're not here to talk about how about the good parts of the exams.
1: <laughs> no, that's a different... That's our exam-based that's podcast. That's some other podcast. Examine we're here to this. talk about the
0: bad stuff. Yeah. We're going to look at the examinations at the end of their life cycle during the Qing dynasty especially in the 19th century, because it wasn't abolished until 1905. <laughs> well, when you consider that that was literally 1,300 years Still after- Still a good run. Yeah, after- Solid run exam. It was standing on ya. Like, what the hell? We're proud of you, son. The civil service examinations, obviously, became a defining facet of Chinese culture. Those who had passed the exam, known as Jinshi were of a highly elevated social class and were promised lives of purpose, power, and money. It was basically, it was to if you could find a way to pass the exams, you were set for life. You were better than everybody else. This was the one path to like social mobility that went way upwards. Mm. Exams are life. Naturally, people got a little weird about it. <laughs> people tend to get a little weird. Preparations for the examinations began as early as the families could manage it. Girls were not allowed to take the exam and were thus basically thought to be worthless to any family looking to climb the social or financial ladder. Mothers were often gifted with mirrors that had an engraving that said five sons passed the examination as a good luck charm because that was the greatest thing they could accomplish. Wow. Yeah, no, I really cannot stress this enough, cannot underestimate it. Getting your son to pass the examination was a big fucking deal. But getting five of
1: those sons to pass the examination? Yeah, well, first you
0: gotta birth five sons, which doesn't sound great just from the start. And then they go on and form corn. Then they become an academic? Ah, crazy. The worst of all timelines. Mm Mm-hmm. From the beginning, boys aiming for the civil service exams ignored science mathematics and technology. they studied like, none like, of these things no 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 in their real
1: lives so they would be like <laughs> how much money do I have I, I, uh, I that is not uh, it cannot be determined
0: <laughs> that's impossible it's impossible that, to answer.
1: Uh, do you want do you want to go in this horse-drawn carriage what 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 machinations are these I see before
0: me? So they just completely ignored them. Because I haven't really talked about what was on the test yet, have I?
1: I thought maybe you were doing that on purpose. Yeah,
0: maybe. None of that was relevant for government. Fuck that. Fuck you. (laughs) From an early age, you know what they learned, Liam? What they learned? The one true academic pursuit. Classical literature. Oh, no.
1: (laughs) That's what Tom Major did. He can't run a country.
0: <laughs> I've seen him try. I've
1: seen him try. He got orange juice everywhere.
0: <laughs> so, for years, from the earliest possible age, they would learn as many characters as they could, eventually, attempting to memorize by heart the five classics and the four great books. Okay. The-
1: Yep. It's just all five Captain Underpants stories, right? <laughs>
0: you got it, buddy. I nailed it. <laughs> Podcast over. We did it. And and just just to be clear, they were not trying to, you know, do what you or I do when we read a book, which is, you know, know what it says, basically. Sure. Comprehend. They were trying to literally memorize every single one of these books by heart.
1: You know, sometimes you memorize song lyrics, sometimes you memorize recipes,
0: <laughs> and other times you memorize the
1: five great works of literature.
0: Sometimes you memorize Mencius, the Analects of Confucius, the Zuozhuan, the Book of Changes, the Book of Documents, the Book of Poetry, and the Book of Rites.
1: Sorry, it was nine books they had to memorize?
0: Uh, the, the five classics were were the ones that I told you about the Book of Documents, the Book of Poetry, the Book of Rites, the Book of Changes. There were also um, the Spring and Autumn Annals. Um, the four books were the zuo the Mencius, uh, Analects, and the Doctrine of the Mean.
1: None of those have to do with, like, ruling a small p- p- town, or...
0: Well, a lot of it was written by Confucius, and his whole thing was about, like, government and morality. So, uh,
1: well... I guess that's important.
0: Yeah, this was this was basically everything they were expected to know, but they were expected to know it backwards and forwards.
1: But how many times were they called on to recite it backwards?
0: <laughs> oh, Liam. Okay! Oh, no! <laughs> so, I, 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 I don't have any examples of them literally reciting it backwards, but... Before, so just before we do that, this meant to memorize these while they were studying to setting up on on this to just to get ready for the exam process. Students were expected to have memorized over four hundred and thirty thousand characters in order. (laughs) What
1: what what is what is this a game of Overwatch? (laughs) What what is this an episode an episode of GD Game of Thrones? I'm
0: done. For ins if if. Students memorize 200 characters a day every day for 6 years they could do it. Just just to be Ooh. clear, memorizing 200 Chinese yeah. characters in a day is ridiculous. That's a lot of character. It's so much. Like the Only mind real dad could withstand that much character. It's unbelievable. The idea of trying to memorize all those books, especially for, you know, us <laughs> those of us who you know don't yeah we don't really do with we don't do uh characters so much
1: nah we do the letters they're lame i'll be honest
0: <laughs> they're easier though
1: they're easier but and like, i'm know.
0: fine with that path of least resistance
1: that's fair our flag sucks dick though
0: the exam process began in the teenage years you see by the time of the ching dynasty the 19th century which i said is what we're going to focus on the number yeah. of Jin-shi had swelled beyond any reasonable size. Previous dynasties had continued accepting about 100 new graduates a year, but they didn't have new government positions to post them to. Plus, more and more men were taking the examinations to try to join them. <laughs> so already, by the time the, the Qing dynasty came around, only about 1% of test takers passed. Jesus Ebus. only about one percent of test takers passed and the ching solution to these problems was to make the exams harder <laughs> no one passes <laughs> this meant that test takers also had to study harder and the lowest level of these exams were for teenagers looking to join a school because you could only take the actual the the actual government exams if you were officially a student Again. These initial exams, the ones to get into schools, they were meant for boys younger than fifteen, and the tests were made harder for anybody older than that.
1: Okay, makes sense. Which
0: led to older boys and sometimes grown men disguising themselves to look younger.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm fourteen.
0: Yeah, pretty much. There, there, there are like joking tales of like forty year old men who tried to take the the school exams. Me?
1: No, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a little boy. La diddy da did.
0: Like shaved his beard but didn't tell his wife about it, came home and was like, Do you, are you looking for your family? <laughs> You're clearly a child. Got him. So even these early tests called for extremely precise memorizations of the texts. And they were easy to fail, despite being like the easiest one of this whole process. They were they were generally held once a year and are known as the district county or prefectural exams. They were kind of in a series of them. Uh, they would then lead to the qualifying exams, the last of the school entrance exams. And I'll, I, t- I, I alluded to the memorization being pretty tough in it. There were there would For the harder ones, the ones for the older students, there would be like, where in this book do these three characters appear one after another? Good golly gosh. And if no one answered them, they would start laughing at them. Oh, oh, that's that's a fun way to learn. And we they would they would like call to themselves, "We have outwitted them." This
1: sounds a lot like my sophomore English teacher.
0: <laughs> like not <laughs> even joking. It's it's 100% this like let's make this as hard as possible. That makes sense. Oh no. Like like, the idea of having to memorize a thing and then go like, alright, where in the book does it go this word, this word, then this word?
1: I... I it's... I, I read all nine Captain Underpants books. I, I
0: don't... <laughs> I'm ready for this. I can tell you I'm when as the, ready
1: as I can be. I, I can tell you when the flippy page part happens and you make make it look like an animation. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so for a lot of this episode... Um, I'm referring to Ichisada Miyazaki's uh textbook about it, looking mm-hmm. specifically at this period of the exams. It's called China's Examination Hell. Oh no. That's the title of this book. Good title. So for the qualifying examination, not only was was the uh the essay and the poetry and all that kind of stuff, not only was that also very difficult, there were also uh codes of conduct and officials observed all the test takers at the qualifying exam while they were taking it and they made marks on their on their paper if uh they they broke any of the rules and usually and and usually just one of these marks would mean you weren't gonna succeed you weren't gonna pass you were out um if you left one seat and you were only allowed to go once if you went more than once, you you got a mark on the paper. Uh, most test takers at this point carried a pot with them and went under the seat
1: if they needed to oh, go to the bathroom. Yeah. Gotcha. For uh, uh,
0: if if any students to... traded papers or dropped a paper because it might arouse suspicion of about exchanging papers, uh, if you talked, if you looked around at other people's papers if you changed seats if you disobeyed any of the clerk's instructions if you violated any other regulations uh if your paper was incomplete or if you hummed Mm -hmm. (laughs) i'm out candidates would hum because they had to make rhymes for poetry in the test but other ones didn't like that so humming was banned why would humming help uh, it's not important we're moving on you're figuring out rhymes you got to get like the rhythm or whatever okay once the students passed these uh school entrance examinations and joined a school they were allowed to try their hands at the provincial examinations the first of the of exa- the, the like actual exams to determine whether they were suitable for government positions My so this goodness. has all been preliminary yeah this
1: is just you know how badly do you want it
0: yeah this is where the actual stuff starts so this is where we're going to take a break Ooh. Alrighty then. For another show on the Major Cast Network.
1: People ask me, why should I listen to your podcast? Because there's like 10 million X Files podcasts in there. I say, one, we give great commentary. Because all those other X Files podcasts, they're just like fucking masturbating over Chris Carter's creation. Yeah. Number 2, we will make you come. <laughs> Whether you like it or not. Yeah,
0: it's going to happen.
1: We'll, we'll hit a button sooner or later. Yeah, we you know what? We're going to cover so many fucking hot topics and one of them someday going to be yours and be you yours. You might not even know it. You'll be sitting there listening, you'll be like, "Oh damn." <laughs> I completed. And I didn't even know that was my thing. Five stars. <laughs> Review, please.
0: Catch the Double X
1: Files Tuesdays at noon on your favorite podcast app. Baby, we'll treat you so right.
0: So when we, when we, when we left for a break, I, w- I was about to start telling you about the provincial exams. Which is what happened after the uh, qualifying exams and the prefectural exams, which were the and school was, entrance.
1: And I was like, Eric, slow down. I'm going <laughs> to
0: finish. By this point, the the applicants have taken a bunch of tests and they are part of a school, which means they are officially students, which is what they need to be to be allowed to take the remaining test. The, the provincial exams are... I'm going to talk about the provincial exams and the metropolitan exams, which were the next step, together, because they're really mm. similar. Um, but before we do, do you want to talk about like what they actually had to do on the test?
1: I mean, you're telling the story, man. <laughs> so it's not about what
0: I want. I figured at some point you were going to get curious. So the, the actual test requirements obviously changed from exam to exam, and they changed from year to year too, getting more and more complex usually as as the thousand years went by. But eventually what what the, the core facets of it were an essay section, sometimes multiple essay sections, and a poetry section, sometimes multiple poetry sections. Like those were those were the two big things because, you know, it's classical literature. What else would we test you on? Mm-hmm. On both of those, you were tested on your calligraphy and having clean work. Any mistakes in any character would likely fail you. Because you were you were basically, while you were taking the test, you would have a rough thing that you would plan out all your answers. Uh, and then you would have a clean copy that you would actually turn in. Um, there were all kinds of little tricks and uh, things that would gain you credit that we're never going to understand like there were some like in later exams, if you finished your thing and left 14 lines blank afterwards, that was considered very clever. I don't know why. Like (laughs) it's there's, there's all this, I'm just saying there's all this stuff that like, I I could not explain to you if I tried because like, I don't know why it was considered good or not, but let's talk about what they wanted you to do in the essays. Let's do it. The big part of this was called the Eight-Legged Essay. If
1: only there was a creature with eight legs that they could refer to.
0: It's a style of essay writing, obviously, uh, that became basically essential to pass these exams. It rose in the Ming Dynasty and continued into the Qing Dynasty, which is what we're talking about. Um, It followed a very rigid structure um, that... Uh, began with your opening with which was two sentences of prose (laughs) okay so just to like your topic sentences basically then continued into amplification which was five sentences of prose which was to elaborate upon and clarify the theme you would then have preliminary exposition (laughs) you would then have your initial argument The initial argument was supposed to have paired sentences, like four pairs of sentences or eight pairs of sentences. Then the central argument, uh, which which, no limit to their number, in which the central points of the essay are expounded freely. Mm -hmm. Then the latter argument, again, no limit here. And then the final argument, which again would be parallel sentence groups, uh, each one consisting of either two to three lines. Then any loo- and any loose ends would be tied up, and then finally you're allowed to conclude it. The eight legged essay, interesting stuff. Uh,
1: it's, I mean, I, I'm my knuckles are white.
0: Yeah, it's so exciting to to read
1: are you sure there aren't more legs that we can talk about? Like- yeah,
0: it's just, and you had to follow this. This is, yeah. the, one of the main criticisms of this system, obviously, is that it didn't test creativity or intelligence by the end. It was just testing your ability to write essays exactly how you wanted them to write essays. Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. creativity was not celebrated. Your, I told you your calligraphy was important. Any, like, great calligraphy artist, like the celebrated people who would who would you know do some a really nice uh, depiction of a specific character if they if they wrote like that on the exams they would fail instantly you were expected to write in the square style very rigid very small very legible no yeah. creativity at all
1: none whatsoever how dare you even think of it you had
0: to have you had to do the calligraphy in this way you had to write the essay in this way like you had to follow these structures. If you didn't, you would automatically fail. I just, I can't stress enough how rigid the structure is. There is nothing that allows for creativity. There is nothing that allows for, like, exceptional talent. All they want is for you to write in, like the exact same kind of essay as everybody else. Ooh, and remember riveting. that there are, like, 7,000 other dudes taking the exact same essay, writing it in the exact same way, and 1% of you is going to pass. Like, it was something like 1% would pass the provincial exams and 2% would pass the metropolitan exams. That's why I'm kind of talking about them the same. Because they would also take place in the same compounds, those two exams. Uh, Provincial and metropolitan exams had their own special buildings. Once every three years, not every year like the other ones. The students were led into a honeycomb-like structure comprised of tiny adjacent cells. These cells were very small, very narrow, and contained three boards at different heights. One at the bottom to sit on, one above that to work on as a desk, and one above that as a shelf. That was your room, that was your cell, that was where you took the test. Mm. The candidates were led into the labyrinthine structure and locked inside for days to finish the test.
1: Jesus Christ, is there food and water?
0: They had to bring it themselves. Oh, man. The doors were locked and sealed and could not be opened. There are accounts of men dying in the compound, and rather than open the door to take the body out, the officials would throw the body over the wall. Hoof. On the first day, the applicants were just led into their cells. They didn't do any they didn't take any test. They were just set up at night so that they had to sleep in their cell the first night. They again, all they had was just like ground and wooden boards and very thin bedding, so it was not great if it was cold.
1: We'll take the test in the summer.
0: I believe it was taken in the fall because that was like not the best ideal. weather generally. Not too hot and not too cold. Yeah, they did think about some of this stuff. (laughs) Thank God. The exam itself started early the next morning before it was light out and would last uh, multiple days. I believe three consecutive sessions. The first section concerned poetry in the provincial exam. The second was the essay. You were expected to bring food and candles with you. Um, and they had to protect your you had to protect your answers from the elements so if like it was rainy and windy you had to like shield your answers with your body basically Jesus yeah yeah, it sucked <laughs> it was just just a terrible time they would if they needed to like there was no easy way to lie down in the rooms either they would just like curl up and the book I read was like they would be bent over like shrimp <laughs> And they wouldn't have gotten good night's sleep before they got to the compound either.
1: Oh, um, wait, why not?
0: I, this actually might just be for the Metropolitan and not the other ones, but they would be, like, woken up early <laughs> to, like, oh, go Oh, come there. on. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Can't catch a break during this test.
0: Yeah. I just, I want you to really, like, set yourself in this area. Like, you're in this honeycomb I, I structure. By I your,
1: refuse to put myself there. Like
0: all you've got are other dudes next to you, in other like in the rooms next to you, doing the exact same thing. And like you are beyond the power of like God or man. <laughs> You're just sitting in this cell by yourself. So naturally myths Naturally. and ghost stories start to be told about this place well of
1: course where i mean i'm surprised that there hasn't been a, a horrifying spooky movie set during the night
0: of these it tests. is in this space that the exams become almost mythical obviously the exams were real not you know mythical but a lot of these tall tales come out of them because this was all supposedly a meritocracy and people believed in this unified government so like this was the best system possible there came to be a belief that doing well basically meant that you were a good person and doing badly meant that you were a bad one. Oh no. Yeah. And obviously this is a test. There's a ton of luck involved in this, in this process. Examiners after they were done had to read thousands of pages that would have been copied from the originals. They were not the originals. They didn't use those. And like, different examiners would do it with different colored inks and it would go through all this stuff. It was this whole thing, but there's no way that like the grades weren't contingent on the whims of the examiners, you know, Mm -hmm. but just saying that this was all luck would be an indictment of the process. So instead all these myths and ghost stories spring up about how like the king of the dead would influence examiners because you know they thought that it was a good answer but the person but the guy who wrote it was a bad dude so the king of the dead would put an x on it and they wouldn't be able to erase it no matter what happened the oh, no. the gra- yeah the greatest sins these guys could commit would be seducing women like licentiousness that was the like the greatest wrong they could commit and so all this time like there's a story of one of them going to a fortune teller and being like i don't understand." like you said i would i would do first like when i visited you a year ago you said i would pass the exam they're like yes but once since you did that you spoke harshly to your brother and you seduced a virgin and that made your answer fall out of the passing grade a big thing in chinese culture obviously is the, is their ancestors and ghosts were ghosts and spirits were thought to not just you know tell you about the past and have the ancient wisdom but also be able to see the future um so ghosts would spring up to a guy in an examination and be like i can see the future you will be a great man i will help you in this exam if you go back to my village and find my body buried under a stone wall and punish the man responsible that kind of thing like there are all these ghost stories that spring up around this like there's a whole section of my book about it
1: I mean, to be fair, like I remember during math tests when the ghost of a dead king would try to get me to avenge his son. Yeah, I mean, it's a very common experience. Test.
0: Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, you know, there were a lot of mental breakdowns in the provincial and metropolitan exams. The stress would be too much. There would be, uh, you know, a guy would die there, and people would be like, "Oh, the ghosts got him." Basically. Because, and I think it's because it's this kind of liminal place. It's this kind of borderline outside of the boundary of the police or heaven or whatever that ghosts would... that, that The idea was like that was where ghosts would appear. There was... There's, I think, one that I think best uh, exemplifies the Chinese society of the time. There was a man who was destined to be a great minister or whatever. And he was visited by a ghost while he was taking the exam. And she told him about another man who had seduced her. And he was like, oh, I know him. I'm from the same village. And she goes, he seduced me by telling me I would be his wife and I would, you know, share in his glory and blah, blah, blah. And then he didn't. And so I killed myself after he seduced me. Because that's, you know, that's what the men writing these stories think women would do.
1: Yeah, makes sense to me. An idiot. Anyway. History is bad.
0: So the best, this is the best example of this culture I can think of. So what this guy does is, instead of helping her take revenge on the guy, he walks over with her to the other guy, and they have like an arbitration between the three of them. The first guy goes, alright, can you not kill this guy from my village? In exchange, you will posthumously be recognized as his wife. And all the glory that you would have gotten in life will go to you in death. Which, you know, is just as good, obviously. And the ghost was like, yeah, that's great, I'll take it. And the other guy was like, I'll live better, too. And, like, that's the end of the story. And there's literally a note in the book that I read this in, like, resolving the conflict through arbitration was not uncommon in this kind of story. (laughs) Oh my god. Which is just... It's an insane thing to think about. I don't like
1: thinking about it. Like
0: imagine like a monster of the week TV show where instead of like salting the bones and and burning some the body of some ghost, they have to like get, break out the red tape and negotiate with them. Not only this, so this building on the on the ghost thing and the idea that like good men would have good luck in the exams. Mm-hmm. Like if you, if you did better than you thought you would, it must be because you'd like secretly were a very virtuous person. There was all, there were all kinds of other like superstitions and philosophies about like the right headspace to be in when you take an exam. Like, well, if you get irritable at this, you'll write a terrible essay in the exams. Like that kind of what story.
1: What if my bowels were irritable though?
0: Well, yeah. you'd probably do pretty badly. Cause you'd be too busy like shitting in your cell.
1: Ah, and then the ghosts are gonna make fun
0: of me. Yeah, they're all gonna <laughs> You're see. <shitting> your pants. <laughs> <laughs> Once they passed the the provincial and metropolitan and any later exams, Jinshi would form a lifelong bond with the examiners who passed them. Rather than credit the teachers that from their schools, the graduates would give gifts and have and share friendship with the examiners who only read their work once, like the graders, because they would then share a rank and they would kind of bond together in the tough times. Naturally, that means that being an examiner is a coveted position because you win allies in the government. Right. So there would be all kinds of fighting among the jinshi to get that position. I just, I just, that's crazy to me. Like not even crediting your teachers, but crediting your grader.
1: I mean, when you think about it, He's really the closest one that's there for you. you
0: know? <laughs> this guy I've never met before.
1: This guy. I mean, when, when I was walking down the beach, there was four sets of footprints, but I only have two feet. And he was there with me.
0: <laughs> because they were expected to give gifts to not just their teachers from before, but also the examiners and anyone else who helped them. This actually attached a pretty hefty like price tag to being yeah, a I student. Yeah,
1: I to ask. Oh boy, that's a lot of gifts.
0: Yeah, you were expected, like, being a student, you were expected to give all these gifts, and rich people set the standards for generosity here. So being poor was still a setback in this system, even though it was supposed to be open to everyone from all walks of life, as long as you were male.
1: Yeah. Heavy quotes around everyone.
0: Yeah. Everyone, as long as you're not a woman, and as long as uh, your mother or grandmother wasn't a prostitute... And as long as you can actually pay to get into, like, to do all the stuff and blah, blah, blah. It's it's a lot at this point. Because this system got way too heavy for its own good. Yeah. After the provincial and metropolitan exams, which, again, was just a great time and only, like, 1% would actually make it through.
1: So much fun. Uh,
0: they would then go on to the palace exam.
1: Just so much fun.
0: Yeah, just a great time so far. Um, so the
1: palace exams.
0: Yeah, now we go into the palace exams, which rarely failed anyone. But what they did was they ex- they decided the best position for each candidate. And like the higher ranked ones obviously were meant to go higher in the government. Because it's the palace exams, the Emperor himself was supposed to be part of the process here. Like okay. he was supposed to come up with the questions And then also grade the answers, only he would have his advisor actually write the question out and he would never read any of the answers. He would just kind of... They would be read to him. Right. That kind of thing, and then he'd kind of arbitrarily pick whoever was the best. The questions from the Emperor began with, You graduates are talented men who have qualified in repeated examinations and now, facing the palace examination, are about to answer my questions. I am the son of heaven, responsible for governing the empire. Night and day, I rack my brains so that the people will be able to live in tranquility. Fortunately, I have this opportunity to pose questions to you graduates, and I wish to hear your well-considered opinions on the following. And then the question would begin. (laughs) Indeed. Yeah. Then the candidates would respond. They would begin with, your humble servant replies to your question. Your humble servant has heard. They were then followed generally with an introduction that had without, a, without a pause in state affairs, your majesty devotes yourself to government. And I am most gratefully fortunate that despite this, you take time from the pressure of work to seek from even one as inexperienced as your servant, his opinions on the rights and wrongs of past and present governments.
1: That's a lot. <laughs>
0: also in the conclusion they would write I, your humble servant, a superficial scholar, newly advanced not realizing where I was have ventured to state my own views and am so ashamed of offending the majesty of the emperor that I do not know where to hide I respectfully submit my answer (laughs) that was how they ended their answers
1: weird, Right? (laughs) under a rock under a bridge, lots of places to hide (laughs)
0: It's just this like cuz you know, emperor is the son of heaven and you're supposed to be loyal to him cuz you're passing and like obviously they're going to kiss his ass because this is the best way to advance in life uh, for them.
1: The hurdles to get a good
0: life. This this all falls into this like you have to be legal, you have to be loyal to the system, you have to you have to believe in the emperor, you have to be loyal to him. That's why this system was continued for as long as it did. Because the emperors fucking loved it. It gave them a whole branch of government that was all for them, basically. So that's the palace exams. And, you know, the top guy in that would be, like, in line to be one of the chief ministers. That kind of idea. Yeah. Want to talk about how people would cheat?
1: Yes, finally.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So by this point, obviously the tests have gotten way out of hand, right? No. Yeah, like the 19th century, there's these there's this four-tiered examination and the first one has multiple tiers within it. Like it it would take years and years for most men to pass anything. Like if you passed the the metropolitan exam in your 20s, you were considered to be doing really well. If you passed in your 30s, you were not behind schedule. If you passed in your 40s, you're doing okay. Like 50s was normal but slow like there were dudes who wouldn't pass this until they were 75
1: that's too old
0: and they would get an honorary degree but they wouldn't be allowed to serve in government because everyone knew they were too old
1: they wouldn't be around very long
0: yeah like they it would be too strenuous for them they can't do it but they would be allowed to pass the examinations because otherwise their life would have no meaning
1: kind of wish our government would start getting rid of all the old ones you know like they're saying.
0: <laughs> yeah just tell them that they're that they're great people but not actually let them affect government that'd be a good idea yeah.
1: just a nice little they like get an office and a uh, in a in a there we build a whole new wing in the senate that's just the, basically where lindsey graham and orrin hatch can <laughs> yell at each other
0: it's just a retirement home but we don't tell them that
1: yeah you get cameras to make them think they're doing press conferences.
0: <laughs> There's a bunch of them, we tell them they're reporters now, so they hold up microphones to the other ones.
1: Yeah. And then we just close and lock the door, don't give them food, and chicken on them in a
0: month. Yeah, so obviously, with given that there were thousands of men trying to do this every three years, and a lot of them had been trying to do it for literally decades, and a lot of them would never succeed, all this cheating happened. <laughs> Like so there were there are a bunch of bribery scandals there's a lot of like standard bribery. It should be said the examinations themselves took great pains to make sure that no cheating could occur. Mm-hmm. Not only did examiners they weren't allowed to see the names of the people who wrote the essays, but they would also be graded by multiple different people and you know the other ones mattered just as much as you. So if you bribe just one official you pro it probably wouldn't be enough it could be though because sometimes uh a paper would go to one official and then it would go to the next one the next one the next one and they'd all grade the same thing as the first guy so they didn't humiliate him like you know it would say it would have him save face if everyone else graded the same thing that kind of deal you weren't expected to go too high or too low based on the first guy but we even within that, even, like, not knowing the people's names, that kind of thing, uh, there, were, there were cases where essays would begin with a character that was shared in the person's name and the official would know to look for that, and so he would grade that one well. Um, but my favorite mode of cheating in this is that people would hire dudes to be their substitutes. They would hire dudes who looked like them to take the exams for them.
1: Uh Were these dudes who were like, was that their whole thing? Was just that they take the exam over and over and over again? There were
0: dudes who like, that was their job. That was what they did every year and they were paid very well uh-huh. for it.
1: Getting paid to take a test you've already taken. Yeah, Right not a bad way to make a living and they would just
0: do it over and over and over again and substitutions actually became so widespread that they like developed ways of like looking at the essay to check for substitutes like if the calligraphy was too different between the different exams Mm -hmm. that would be like oh this guy's probably using a substitute actually
1: he's writing in english all of a sudden
0: (laughs) yeah this this one's in japanese and this one's in chinese So one of these isn't adding up.
1: This one's paw prints. Like from a dog. (laughs) Oh, my dog got into the calligraphy ink. I'm sorry,
0: everyone. (laughs) This one's a Batman cartoon. Yay! (laughs)
1: This is nice. Aw, it's the Mr. Freeze one. It's real sad.
0: Pass this guy. He's great. So yeah, substitutes are my favorite ones. Hey guys, Eric here. Before we moved out of the cheating section, I wanted to make a note of something that I forgot to tell Liam while we were recording. Uh, There is one more uh, fun way that guys tried to cheat these exams. Um, We actually have documented uh, evidence of this style of cheating. And they would try, they would sneak in cheat sheets uh, into the exam. And this was not easy as they were searched uh, all their possessions, all their clothing before they went into the compound so we have surviving copies of cheat sheets that were inside dude's underwear or even like masquerading as the dude's underwear like the garment itself uh just wanted to make sure that i told you guys about this before we moved on to the next section okay bye they developed like it's this constant back and forth of like cheaters getting the better of the examiners and the examiners would tighten things up. Um, and it just, that goes back and forth like a thousand years. My goodness. Which is, you know, when you attach this much importance to a test, of course there are going to be a ton of people who cheat. Of course. And in the mid 19th century, which is what we've been talking about, there was one specific cheating scandal that helped lead to like the decline of the whole system. Oops
1: tell me all about it <laughs> what if you were Shit, like no sorry <laughs> not that's today. not what we do on this not, podcast thank you. not for you
0: so um already china in the mid uh 19th century was not a great place because of the taiping rebellion and we're gonna i'm gonna talk to my next guest about that next episode Ooh. and they there was a case of of official misconduct in one of the provincial examinations like right after that or something <laughs> 20 papers had been passed dishonestly like through bribery or something right and the key guy who had passed them was interrogated and it became clear that like chief examiners like all the way up through a whole province were guilty of it oh my god like it was it was not just an isolated incident it was a whole thing punishment was super severe for this kind of infraction there were there were death penalties handed out over it um and after that it kind of declined the use of the exams um and eventually in the late 19th century and early 20th century it became pretty clear that china wasn't keeping up with other world powers because if you'll recall the early 20th century is when all the other world powers started like Developing crazy weapons and conquering shit that yeah. they hadn't conquered before. I mean con- no, I shouldn't say that because because conquering was a thing that happened all the time. but the world's superpowers in the early 20th century had outpaced China in terms of military might and technology. yeah. and Japan had caught on to this before China did. That's part of why Japan was so horrible to China, yeah, in the early 20th century. This is part of why the exams came to an end, because the people of China did not want this class of scholar bureaucrats to be ruling things anymore. Also didn't hurt that the Boxer Rebellion happened.
1: Yeah. That'll that'll come up in history, you know?
0: And that's the end of the Chinese civil service exams. That's how they ended.
1: I just... It's just so weird that to become of an incredibly important job it's a mm-hmm. position that you ha- that like affects so many people. Yeah. It's a test and maybe a ghost will be there.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a test, maybe a ghost will be there and it's not even about like It's not about government normal test stuff. It's about, it's books. about literature. Yeah. Hey,
1: have you read these nine books?
0: They they believe that these like nine books were like the only things anyone ever needed to be a good person and a good governor. And
1: Dave Barry isn't even one of the books.
0: <laughs> this isn't even by Machiavelli. <laughs> uh, so after every episode, after a long story of incompetence on a grand scale, I like to give you a short story about competence in an absurd way. And I've been doing an Irish series. I started it last episode. Uh, With Carson, I talked about uh, Nipple Sucking. Gross. It was great. You should listen to it, everybody. Nipple Sucking and Bog Men. Gross. That's what that one was about. Uh, This one's going to be about Humanity Dick. (laughs) Humanity Dick was a real person's nickname.
1: Hell yeah.
0: His name was Richard Martin. Well, duh. So Richard Martin was an Irish politician in the mid nineteen in the early nineteenth century. He was kind of a crazy dude. He he was uh, another of his nicknames was Hair Trigger Dick. Uh-oh. Uh oh, because he apparently took part in like a hundred different duels with <laughs> sword and pistol.
1: Oh well, yeah. I mean, if you're going to be a duelist, you got to go all out.
0: Yeah, he survived two shipwrecks um he opened galway's first theater like he he did a bunch of stuff he was given the nickname humanity dick by none other than king george the fourth of england
1: well if a king's gonna give you a nickname it's gonna stick
0: yeah because you know richard shortens to dick and he got the nickname humanity dick because he was an animal rights activist
1: one of those clever ironic nicknames
0: yeah he um he is now best known for his work against animal cruelty wikipedia tells me <laughs> um he was he bear baiting uh dog fighting cock fighting all these kind of really visible bad uh, uh, maltreatment of animals he fought against them and uh was, and worked to get an anti animal cruelty bill into the into the irish legislature Oh, wow. And I believe this is the first uh, animal cruelty law put forward in, like, the West.
1: That's, and what year was this? Uh,
0: 1822, I believe. Wow.
1: Good job, everybody.
0: Humanity Dick was, like, Humanity the first Dick... guy to try maybe, to protect maybe animals maybe with should... legislature.
1: Maybe we should let these cute dogs just hang out.
0: Yeah, maybe we shouldn't be mean to animals.
1: I'm Humanity Dick. And I love this
0: cock. I'm sure there's some bad stuff about humanity, Dick. Like, I'm sure there's some unsavory stuff that he did.
1: Uh, he ate a whole porcupine.
0: Yeah, I like, I'm, I'm sure I've, cause I did not research him thoroughly. I just think it's very cool that he was like the first anti-animal cruelty politician. That is cool. Yeah. Another thing I learned in Ireland. So that's the end of the episode, Liam.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Thanks
0: for being on my podcast.
1: Well, you're very welcome.
0: You got you want to do some plugs?
1: Yeah, uh, you know my podcast situation. I host one with Eric called We Are Experts. I host one with Tom Lockney called Media Majors. I host one with Josh Phillips called Musty TV. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Call Your Dad. Uh, oh, uh, I've written a couple of articles for the Hard Drive. Um, so go check those out. Uh, one's a quiz. It's silly as shit.
0: Mm. My name is Eric McAdams. You can find me on Twitter at Eric McAdams, not audaciously yours. You can find my personal website. No character is safe. You can find other stuff I've worked on by searching my name. You can also find a new piece I just put out at Verve blog, which is called mm. ping pong. The animation knows that it's not all fun and games. Pretty proud of that piece. Uh, it's about a ping pong anime.
1: Add us on switch, find our amiibos or whatever. <laughs>
0: Alright, that's all, goodbye Bye Thanks for listening to the Major Casts Network Stay fun Stay nasty And stay major